This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. There's folks that uh, I know that finally um, they pulled the plug on what they were doing in like Rhode Island and in Colorado and they packed up the family and moved to Montana. <laughs> There's, um, there was a couple in Ireland. Uh, he had beaten cancer and his wife had uh, just beaten breast cancer. And the trailer was something that they watched as a daily affirmation every morning. Um, wow. There's folks that, you know, that just, they, they decided to finally make the move on a job, you know, that they, they had been just dragging their feet. They've been worried. They've been waiting for the right time. Um, or they've been, you know, they, they dial back in with their family and, you know, the stuff that's important with their kids. And it really, it, 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 it hit a lot of people. Um, even people that weren't in the outdoor industry, right. we were lucky. The uh, film actually was selected for five different film festivals. <laughs> and so it played in a lot of different places and for a lot of different audiences. I'm Matt Smythe, and this is the Tom Rowland Podcast. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. What's up, everybody? Got a great podcast for you today. Matt Smythe is a writer for FreeRangeAmerican.com. FreeRange American is a great website. If you haven't been there, I strongly encourage you to go. They're putting out interesting, entertaining, sometimes humorous outdoor content every single day, as well as lots of other content. It's a good read. It's a good place to go. Matt is one of the most prolific writers on that site right now, and it was a pleasure to have him on the show today. We talked about all kinds of things, including his um, his 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 writing and how that turned into writing um, daily for an outdoor publication uh, coming from poetry, of all things. And if you read his prose, it has kind of a poetic feel to it. And there's a reason why he has a degree in poetry. Um, Matt's an interesting guy and I've had a great conversation with him. I think you're going to enjoy it too. Matt Smythe coming up right now. Matt, how you doing, man? Yeah, I'm very well. Very Are you? Well. How about you? I'm doing great. I couldn't be any better. Just got back from an amazing trip with my, uh, with my sons in Montana and it was, I don't know, refreshing, re-energizing, 
invigorating. It was awesome. <laughs> you were out for elk, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was fantastic. Did you have any luck? We did. We did. Um, my son's been, it's, it's an interesting story. He set a goal when he went to his orthodontist, when he was 12 years old, he mm-hmm. saw his first elk hunting video on archery elk hunting. And, uh, he set a goal right then. He's like, man, that's something I want to do. And so he went to the university of, or, or the, uh, Montana state actually in Bozeman. And, um, he started bow hunting five years ago and he has been unsuccessful thus far as many elk hunters are. It's a very, very difficult pursuit, but we got it done. I've been with him three times and, um, we've had some close calls, but it happened this year. It happened and it was awesome. It was amazing. That's awesome. I've been, I've been bow hunting, uh, hell since I was what, 14. I think it was 14. I I grew up, my dad bow hunted, gun Mm -hmm. hunted, and I got into bow hunting young. The, I didn't, I didn't kill a deer until I was 30. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So you, you, you started at 14 and didn't kill a deer until you were 30. Well, I, I spent a lot of, to, to be fair, I spent a lot of my early years asleep in my <laughs> Well, me too. Uh, although it, that's why I'm afraid of, of deer hunting because I'm, I'm partly narcoleptic, I think. And, uh, I'm afraid of falling out of the tree stand. I mean, it's a serious thing. I, I really am afraid of falling out of there because when I go turkey hunting, I'll fall asleep all the time. So oh, yeah. why would I not fall asleep in the deer stand when you're nice and warm, you got all your good puffy clothes on and you zip it up real high tight and yep. go to sleep. Well, my dad, <laughs> my dad had the good sense. Um, when I was first starting out, um, to my, my stands were no more than maybe five, eight foot off the ground. Mm-hmm. So, so if I would have fallen, I would have hurt been, you know, standing up and brushing myself off, looking to see if anybody saw me in anything, <laughs> but, um, but I, I, I got away from it a little bit towards the end of high school other things took priority sports and girls and everything else. And, oh yeah. And then I was in the service for uh, a bunch of years. So I didn't get back to hunting until um, really after grad school. Hmm. And uh, it was that first year back. I spent a lot of time uh, scouting, spent a lot of time in the woods before the season shooting a lot and uh, managed to, to grunt an eight pointer in and shot it at seven yards. So that was my first year with a bow and I was ecstatic. I threw it in the back of, I had a, uh, um, a Volvo wagon at the time. And that, so I drove the Volvo wagon into the field after I got the deer dressed out, threw it in the back and then drove to the woods where my dad was hunting and waited for him to come out so I could show. Him. Nice. <laughs> nice. That's awesome, man. That's a great memory. What was, what was the reason that you, you, decided you were going to go back to hunting because you, we, uh, you know, we, we kind of, like a lot of people that are, that grow up hunting, sometimes they get away from it. Like you said, for me, it was girls and, and other things, sports, and you get a driver's license and all of a sudden hunting and fishing is not as interesting or as important. And then you kind of come to this point in your life where a lot of people do where, where you kind of are drawn back to it for some reason. What was that for you? Well, I think, uh, I think a lot of it had to do with timing when um, I was married just before uh, grad school and had two kids while we were uh, in grad school uh, or while I was in grad school. Hopefully my dogs don't bark here, but um, and when we moved back from Northern Virginia, um, I just didn't really have opportunity to hunt there and was busy enough with grad school and what have you and kids. It just didn't, it just didn't register. I fished a lot, mm-hmm. but hunting didn't really register. So when we moved home, um, she's now my, my ex-wife, their family had a lot of property and I figured I'd, I'd get back into it. I did miss it. And, um, I love being in the woods before, uh, before dawn and, and waking up with, you know, listening to the woods in the world, wake up. Um, it's always been something that I've, that I've loved. And, uh, so yeah, I got back, got back into it then. And now along with fishing, it's, it's definitely been, uh, it's been growing year over year. Yeah. 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 The, the affliction is back or addiction is back. Yeah. Well, it's both. It's an affliction and an addiction. I think sometimes, um, you, uh, so you, 
went to the service and then went back to school afterwards? Or yeah. How did that work? Uh, I wasn't, I wasn't ready for college when I graduated high school. Um, I was 17 when I graduated I was 17 when I enlisted, uh, during my senior year. Um, I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I really, I knew college wasn't in the cards for me. Um, and I didn't had, I had some, some amazing foresight at the time. I, I didn't want my parents to have to pay for, or me to have to pay for college when I didn't know what I wanted to do. Right. So, um, I decided I would enlist and there was a, there's a handful of us from, uh, high school that all, that all went in. Um, my first day of basic training was the first day of desert shield, um, as a combat engineer. So it was, a an eye-opening experience, but I, I knew I was exactly where I needed to be. So, uh, and then I, I wound up, I changed jobs after a couple of years, went to ordinance, uh, from being a combat engineer and then was in Germany, Georgia, England, what have you. By the time I got out, um, it was 95. I got out, went back to, uh, some like an active reserve and I went to junior college school was easy at that point. Mm. And I have no idea what it was. Um, I don't know why suddenly I loved science. I loved, you know, math was great. Mm. Um, where I would struggle, absolutely struggled in the past. And, uh, so I school was, school was enjoyable. And, uh, I think I changed majors was it six times <laughs> before, <laughs> before I finally landed on creative writing poetry, specifically my uh, last year undergrad, uh, which was a switch from biochem and forensics. Mm -hmm. Cause I wanted to go into forensic investigation, uh, even did autopsies for a year at a local hospital hmm. uh, and then switched majors and then went to grad school for poetry. Wow. So you're, I've read a bunch of your, uh, your articles, the way, the way that I, I found you was, uh, through the free range American, um, website, which I love that website. It's really good. And, and awesome. there's just so many different articles on there. I mean, you write a ton of articles. Um, I had Todd Baumgartner on the podcast too. He writes a bunch of fitness articles, which we talked about kind of fitness yep. for, for hunting, but then I don't know, there's just, there's just a, that's a very, entertaining website. Like it, it just, you can find articles on, on about anything. And so I came across your articles and, and I thought I'd like to talk to you. And then I looked into you a little further and, and, um, man, you, you write a ton, like you, you, you write a ton and a lot of your, a lot of your kind of cadence and, and the way that you write is kind of, even in your prose, it's kind of like poetry. I think, I mean, you can, Certainly, when I looked into you a little further, and I look go to your blog, and you're, you you have all these poems on your on your blog, it it's kind of makes sense. Like, oh well, this it's it's kind of a poetic kind of prose that you that you write. Is that on purpose? Uh, I it is, but I think it's more out of out of practice than anything. Uh, I mean. I, when I was in grad school, I was, I was, you know, writing poetry every day, mm -hmm. writing every morning, journaling and what have you. But, um, when I found my voice, it was, um, it, it definitely, it spilled over into the prose that I wrote, mm -hmm. um, after I, after I graduated, um, I went to George Mason after I got back, I got a job in advertising and worked into copywriting. And, um, because I was older and I didn't have a lot of ad background and what have you, most of the folks, um, were like, just because you have a degree in poetry doesn't mean you can write ad copy, blah, blah, blah. And for me, I was saying, actually, it makes me a better candidate for it because it's about economy of words. Right. Mm -hmm it's the, the billboard on the highway that you've got to get somebody to read and you can't have a paragraph up there. Right. You have to, you have to have no more than seven words say exactly what it needs to say. I'm like, that's, that's my wheelhouse. So, um, when it comes to being able to write stories and what have you, I definitely, um, my, my poetic voice definitely, uh, comes out. And again, I think it's because I appreciate, the economy of words. I appreciate 
putting people in a place um, in a in a um, sort of a finite amount of time. Um, and when I get a little bit of room to breathe, it it lets me do that even more. So I always like that scene in and a river runs through it where they have to write their their they have to write an essay for their dad and he looks at it and reads it. He says, Okay, half as long. Yeah. Same thing, half as long. And then they he turns it back in and he says, Okay, good. Same thing, half as long. And he's oh God. <laughs> you know. Yeah. But but I, I thought about that. Even just watching that movie, you think about stuff like that, and you're like, oh. Well, that is, you know, you can get the point across in a lot less words and it, it's much easier to read and, and, and flows better. And, and all it takes is like that revision at first, but I mean, I'm no poet like, like you are, but what drew you to poetry? Like that seems, you know, to me, like in high school, I would have been just like poetry, no way. And then like <laughs> you, 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 you kind of mentioned like you had this kind of, kind of, um, I don't know, you were, you were all of a sudden interested in school and, and certain things after, after getting away from it and taking a, you know, call it a gap year, call it, call it going to service, call it whatever you, you step away from school and you come back with a completely different perspective, which is kind of interesting. Cause I always kind of tell kids that maybe that's not a bad idea. Well, when I changed majors, I really, I fell in love with the beat poets and mm uh Robert Lowell and a lot of other like like um even Robert Frost and and even and Whitman and what have you and and what drew me to them was the life experience and sort of the everyday that that they brought into it kind of warts and all right and and I appreciated that as someone who was coming to my education older than most of my cohort um and the, I guess the, the freedom to write about things that are that personal and that gritty, you know, whether they're, whether it's, whether it's about me or not. Um, I mean, I, I had a poem that I wrote um, about from when I was doing autopsies. Um, they're the, probably the toughest ones are when um, children die. Mm. And so I had written this poem about one of the things that it's, it's like, it's not official protocol, but there was a mother who lost her child and um, the child had already come down to the morgue um, was already in, you know, in the, the cooler where, where bodies go um, after they, they die while they're waiting for autopsy. But um the mother wanted to see her baby once again. And so the nurses actually came down and they had, what they did was they had taken one of the blue uh, baby blankets mm -hmm. and they had microwaved it to make it warm. Wow. Wrapped the baby in that and handed the baby to their mom, to her mom. Um, so that the mother was holding a warm. Right body you know that's a profound sort of behind the scenes people don't see that and i felt um i mean it was i was gutted but i also felt very privileged to see that that level of care um and compassion and so to be able to write about moments like that is um that that became very attractive and very important to me. And I mean, every writer starts out thinking that they've got so much to say and the world needs to hear <laughs> what I have to say, um, it, which is fantastic to, you know, from being prolific standpoint, but, um, but it also really helps you. Uh, that's what helps you dial in your voice. That's what helps you get finally see, you know, get past writing, uh, for ego and start writing for real, you know? Um, and I think that that's, that's something that is, um, has been important to me from the beginning is just being, being as genuine as possible, um, being as real as possible and almost keeping my own. I try to keep 
like the the exposition about how I feel or whatever. I try to leave a lot of that up to the reader. Um, I bring them to a point where they see juxtapositions or they see situations. And while I may have some sort of finality to what it is that I write, there's a lot. Dogs. Hey, there's a, oh, now UPS is here. <laughs> um, Jasper, come here, Jasper. Well, there's a lot of finality, you know, to the pieces I write. Um, there's also a lot of room for people to. Um, Jasper. So he's a, we've got a two year old Aussie. Yeah. You could write a poem a about this. 12 year old pound. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> there's a lot of interpretation that I you know, that is left to the reader yeah. at the end of the day too. So, so when you, when you start down, you know, you find your voice and you're writing poetry about um, like real serious things, like, like your, your time in the, in the, in the autopsies and all that, how does that transition over into, into the outdoors? Uh, I think my, well, being in grad school and that the initial that real, that big push into poetry to begin with at grad school. I had also learned how to fly fish mm. while I was at grad school. So that was sort of a, um, that was sort of a uh, profound combination of things coming together. Um, I found fly fishing open and that as a, um, as a theme opened the door to, to talk about a lot of other things that were going on. Um, so you know, fly fishing in Northern Virginia between 2001 and 2004, um, you know, there's 9-11 happened, mm. the sniper shootings. Um, we had all the anthrax scares. Right. We had the first human case of West Nile virus. There was just, there was all of these things that were going on. Um and I wasn't necessarily, I, I mean, I wrote about 9-11 um, after, afterwards I was teaching. And so a lot of my students um, experienced loss, whether it was the Pentagon or, um, you know, the, the towers. But, but it, the fly fishing allowed me to be contemplative. It allowed me to get on the water to it gave me time to think there was no noise around it was often really early or as you know light is is failing and so to be able to commune with nature and to have that time in my own head to think about things i wind up finding connections you know that um normally i or others wouldn't make just in the normal sort of routine of of your day um so that transitioned very readily to hunting as well. Again, like I said, you know, getting in well before dawn, sitting in a stand, listening and feeling how close the darkness is and how everything is just you're you're enveloped. And then as light starts to creep in, how the world gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm, and you can yeah. start to hear things further and further away. Um, you know, it, poetry really it 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 helped me to pay more attention to what's going on around me notice those things midway usa brand product designers have one straightforward goal develop high quality technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices if you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping, MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. I love that day. I love that time of the day. Like that's, I'm a morning guy and like Rich, my partner that I fish with all the time, he likes the afternoon, but 
even I, I don't know. I just I don't I don't I'm not drawn to the to the last light like I am the first light. I love getting out there. Just like you say, I mean, I always see it as like the world is waking up and you get mm-hmm. in the middle of the woods and there's basically almost zero noise. And then the birds start chirping and the crickets and everything else. And all of a sudden this just, it just all comes to life. And then yeah. that's when the animals move and that's when the fish are, are happy. And that's like, I just love that time. It's, that's my favorite. And yeah. I do like, you know, I like it in the midday where you can see the fish and you can see everything, but it's just, I don't know. You're out there and you just kind of show up at this party that's been going on for <laughs> hours. Right. But exactly. like, like you, you, you know, when you get out there early, I just like that. It's like you're a part of it. Like you're 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 a part of this unfolding of of what of the day, really. And then you yep. see the sunrise, and then it all kind of there's like this. There's there is there's like this big party that goes on from just before light to like I don't know maybe a, an hour afterwards, and then everything just kind of blends together. And and it's it's daytime now. And it's, it's weird, but that's, that's, a, that would be challenging for me to write about. I, I, I don't even know if I can, you know, explain it to, to a lot of people, like why I like that, that time. Maybe I just did, but I don't, you just did. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it's just, it's just an experience almost where, you know, no matter how well I tried to explain it, I just don't know that I could ever really paint that picture to someone who hasn't experienced that to sit in a blind or to, to be out, you know, looking for the tarpon and, and the ocean is completely flat. Like there is not a ripple. And in 30 minutes, there's going to be a hundred tarpon rolling right here. But right mm-hmm. now everything's sleeping. And, uh, I don't know. I always like the people that kind of put, I had this customer Fitz Coker. He's one of the best tarpon fishermen in the world. And, He's just spent so much time out there and he would always, he would always tell these little stories. He's like, we're going to get out there, Tom, and we're going to find these tarpon where they've been playing poker all night. And he would, he would like just put this little, little thing together. And, and he's like, we're going to go in there and we're going to wreck their game. <laughs> but, but I love Follow that. The smell of cigars. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, but it is a, it is a good time of the, of the day. I saw one thing that you did that was, that was really cool, man. It was with the rock house motion guys, um, that deliberate life video. Yeah. How, yeah. Does, how does that work? Like, like what, what part do you play in, in something like that? Well, the, the, I guess the origin story was um, my buddy who's in the film, Grant Taylor, he's a photographer. He and I, uh, the year prior, I had finally made the move from being agency side in the advertising world to, I, you know, stepping into traffic mm. and going out on my own. And Grant had been let go from his job. So those are a couple of things that, you know, they were, that was in the film as far as circumstances are concerned for us. And when we, we went out West and, and it was, I had been writing since 2009, I've been writing my blog and I had met online a bunch of different people. Um, Grant and I decided to go out West because we'd never spent like he'd never been out there period. And I'd only been out there for, you know, a couple of real short uh, visits. So we went out and we spent 10 days, met up with some people that I knew from, you know, through the blog, (laughs) they showed us their home water and we just had, it was just an amazing experience, you know, the South Fork of the Snake and the Owyhee and Henry's Fork and Payette and Salmon getting up into the Sawtooth Range. Just, I mean, we just don't have country like that in Western New York. (laughs) And uh, so when we got back, I knew that I wanted to write some blog posts and Grant had something like just shy of 11,000 images. So I told him, I, this, the, the story is we, we can't just do some blog posts and, and put some images with it. It can't be that. And that's it. Mm-hmm. So I came up with the idea for the film and the, uh, the basis of the storyline and Grant had been talking to Matt White, uh, the, the founder of rock house and Matt had been wanting to get into doing some fishing videos 
because he and his brothers have been doing a lot of, you know, whitetail, Kansas whitetail mm-hmm. and what have you. And um, so he wanted to, to sort of expand beyond the blood sports and get into uh, fishing. And so we connected with those guys and we wound up doing, a, we created a, like a small teaser video to try to get some sponsorships. We shot the whole thing, the teaser video in Kansas. Hmm. And I think I caught the only rainbow in Kansas <laughs> and it was in like a, uh, it was on the other side of a, uh, like a reservoir. There was a, a small like a spill stream that was coming out and it was full of like bass and sunfish and stuff. And I managed to catch a, a rainbow, which is probably a stalker, but still. <laughs> um, but yeah, we just, we hooked up with them. We planned on the, the next September to go back out and we went out for 10 days and we kind of retraced our steps, added in a few new ones. Um, and then I just, you know, I had this, I had this story that, that I wanted to tell and those guys were able to bring it bring it to life visually fantastic you know um at the time it was i mean i know i'm biased but at the time it was arguably probably one of the best um outdoor videos produced Mm -hmm. yeah those guys do a great job they really do and with the the story it was more than just fish porn Mm -hmm. you know it actually had a story to it so there was there was a lot of elements that really that spoke to people. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of folks even today, I, you know, every now and again, I'll get an email. Um, just I've, I've made a lot of really, really, a lot of really close friends of mine today are friends because of that film <laughs> from yeah. all over the country. I was going to, I was going to ask you like what, what the, what the um, reception of that film was, because I, you know, I watch a lot of films and stuff you know, on fishing, but I had not seen that one. And one of the things that drew me to it was that it was on the South Fork of the Snake River, which is the river that I started my guide career on. And I've got a real soft spot in my heart for that river and just to mm-hmm. see it and and see it portrayed like that. And there were just there was just these cool moments in there, like where where there are three people there and they had their feet in the water and they were, you know, it was just I just remember like that's how we would eat lunch on the South Fork of the Snake River. And it was just a it was just a cool thing. But that the 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 whole subject of the film is is you know, choosing a deliberate life, like choosing to not pay attention to the things that are not important and pay attention to the other things that are important. And maybe that means that it, it's a life change or maybe it means that it's it's uh, something. But I mean, that's what I got out of it. And, um, I just kind of wondered what the reception was. I would imagine that it had a pretty profound impact on some, some people. It, it did. Um, you know, there's, there's folks that, uh, I know that finally, um, they pulled the plug on what they were doing in like Rhode Island and Colorado and, they packed up the family and moved to Montana. <laughs> There's um, there was a couple in Ireland. Uh, he had beaten cancer and his wife had uh, just beaten breast cancer. And the trailer was something that they watched as a daily affirmation every morning. Um, wow. There's folks that, you know, that just, they, they decided to finally make the move on a job, you know, that they, they had been just dragging their feet. They've been worried. They've been waiting for the right time. Um, or they've been, you know, they, they dial back in with their family and, you know, the stuff that's important with their kids. And it really, it, 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 it hit a lot of people. Um, even people that weren't in the outdoor industry, we were lucky. The uh, film actually was selected for five different film festivals. (laughs) And so it played in a lot of different places and for a lot of different audiences. And that's, that's part of what, you know, really got it out there, but the fly fishing community, they, they really welcomed it. And I think it was, it was something that, you know, there's a lot of amazing video that's come since and some, there's some really good storytelling. And then there's a lot of amazing video that is, it's just about, you know, fish porn. Um, all of them have their, all of them have their value and their uses. I think we, we kind of bucked the trend early. I mean, there was only a handful of fish that were caught, 
Mm-hmm. And they were, there wasn't giants. There wasn't, you know, there was some, there was some great fish, but yeah, at the, at the end of the day, it was about, um, you know, how the five of us said we grew up in the outdoors. We all got away from it for a while. We realized the hole that it left in our lives. We realized what we, you know, the, the stuff that we tried to fill that hole with and the, how unsustainable it was. And we all chose to make a move to empty that and refill it with what we're passionate about, what we love. Wow. So, so just um, as people are listening right now, they'll be interested in watching that film. Where, where, where can someone see that? Oh, there's, it's on Vimeo. Um, I have it on my page. So it's like, if you were to go to Vimeo and then just type in one word, fishing poet, um, you'll find my page and I've got the different versions. There's the, there's a long one, which is 36 minutes. There's a, the 18 minute, uh, version that went through the film festivals, but through a few film festivals. And then, um, there's a trailer as well. So there's a few different versions depending on your appetite for length. Yeah. I saw um, it on your website. I think I watched the, I thought it was 33 minutes, but maybe it was yeah, 36 yeah. minutes. Um, yep. yeah, I watched that this morning before we, before we talked and, um, very good. So your website, what's your website? Right. It's, uh, Matt Smythe.com. M A T T S M Y T H E.com. Yeah. So if you're interested in, in checking this out, it's a, it's a really it's well worth your time. I, I, I like it a lot. It was a, it spoke to me and I can only imagine like what, why I was asking about the reception is because like, if it speaks to you, you, and you're in a place in your life where you're really happy with, like, I'm very happy with my life. Like I do kind of what I want and I've followed my passion, but it still spoke to me. I'm like, man, you know what? I should be doing more. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I should be doing more of the things right. that I want to do and less of the things that I don't want to do. And you, you know, yes, like that would be awesome if we all had the luxury of doing that. But what the film kind of talked about to me was like, you can choose, like you can choose to do more of the things that you want to, or you can choose to like feel this pressure of the world and feel this pressure of, of all these, you know, appointments and all this, you know, social media and everything else, or you can actually choose to live your life a different way. And that's what most of these characters in the, in, in that film have chosen that they, they've deliberately chosen that no matter what the, maybe they don't make as much money. Maybe they don't, you know, whatever, maybe they have to move or maybe they have to do something, but they've chosen to, to take this big step. And man, I, so many people that listen to this podcast reach out by email or whatever. And, and a lot of people are kind of in this transitional time of mm-hmm. like, I want to do something else, but I don't know if that, if now's the right time. And I guess because they think that I made that choice at some point, it really wasn't a choice for me. I'd, I was kind of like you did. I wasn't really very good at school. Like I could be, I could be today, but I wasn't ready for it. I just didn't have the, the, either the mental capacity or the patience or the focus or something. And school was very difficult for me. And until I found fishing, like particularly fly fishing, I, I had no excitement for learning. Right. And then I find fly fishing and kind of like, like you, when you go back to school, it's like all of a sudden, you know, you're, I'm reading books from cover to cover in one sitting and I'm, and I'm like, I'm applying this knowledge and I'm asking questions to, to people that are older than me, which I would have Mm -hmm. totally completely avoided, you know, even in things that I was interested in like wrestling or, or something like that. I would just be like, ah, there's no reason to ask a question. I'll figure it out on my own. Um, but then you kind of get this excitement for learning and, um, I don't know, it, it, I, I don't have the answers for people that are looking for, 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 you know, guidance on how they can quit their job and, 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 you know, start a new thing, unless it's being a fishing guide, which I have written a couple of articles about that, <laughs> right. which have been, you know, pretty, pretty well received because it's just like, it just takes hard work and it takes a, it takes a, an actual deliberate decision that you're going to do this. And then when you decide to do that, now you have to put your heart and soul into it, mm-hmm. regardless of what the outcome is. Like if you're going to live, you know, in a trailer or you're going to, you know, just live in your car, like whatever it is, like 
that's what you accept, and this is the road you're going down. And you know what? It almost always works out better. Yeah. <laughs> if you put your heart and soul into it. But that movie, man, it was it was good. It was really good. And so well, the reason I ask what your role is in that, because um it's just interesting with your writing and the way that you're though I mean that that had a real economy of words. There were you know, there was a lot of silence in that movie. And then there were some interviews and then there was this way that they were woven together, which was artistic and cool. And like, that's what I thought maybe your, your role was, is like to, to put that part together. Yeah. From, from an editorial standpoint, the structure overall was, you know, we're and working with, working with Matt, you know, they're definitely, it's, it's sort of, um, it is sort of chapter, right? So we do have the interviews at early on about how everybody, you know, they grew up in the outdoors and their love of place and, and things like that. And, and then the struggle and then uh, on out the, the imagery, I think once we, you know, once we hashed out the storyline and that, that order, then the imagery really fell, mm-hmm. it fell into place really well, yeah. you know, whether it was contemplative or if there was urgency to it or um, what have you, it, you know, it, it really, it comes together a lot easier once you have that, that the arc of the story together. Right. Well, well done. I suggest everybody go check that out. It's, it's, it's really good. Um, so just changing gears a little bit, how did you, um, how did you get hooked up with free range American and, and black rifle? Cause that's a pretty cool company and a cool podcast. I mean, a cool, um, website and you're writing a ton on there. So I actually, uh, my, my last gig, I was the, uh, head of communications, uh, for the American fly fishing trade association. Okay. So I was on the, on the trade side of it and really helping to grow the sport um, and helping our, our member base grow the sport. Um, That job ended October of 2020 and largely because of COVID and the fact that we weren't able to have our, our trade show, the uh, IFTD. Mm-hmm. And right. so things just got skinny. And unfortunately I, I had to, I had to go. Um, but I got to fish in November with a gentleman by the name of Marty Scovland Jr. He's the um, executive editor with Black Rifle Coffee. He's the executive editor of uh, coffee or die, mm-hmm. which is our sister publication. Right. And then free range American. Um, he, that was the first time we met a, uh, a former ranger that he knows he's buddies with, and that I know through project healing waters. Uh, he introduced us and that's how we all, we all got to fish together. Um, Marty and I just, we got talking and then we kept talking afterwards and the opportunity came up to write for free range American. So I started in February this, this year. Um, I was just on contract for a few months and was tasked with writing, uh, trying to write uh, an article a day, a story a day, which is something I have never done. (laughs) I've never never even in my busiest days of blogging have i written this much for this sustained period of time hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain your feet are carrying the load without the right boots you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge at midway usa we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier with just a few clicks of a mouse you can decide on what's important like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. How is that? How is that? How has that affected your your writing? Do you find that it's easier that it's coming out 
you know, it's flowing easier or is it more challenging or what is that for, for a writer that's now tasked with writing a story a day? The, uh, it's interesting because the, the writing itself, there's, there's most definitely an approach to like journalism, right. Writing about news stories or telling a story around like five of the best barbecue joints in the country mm-hmm. or, you know, here are 18 old school blues musicians that you need to know, <laughs> uh, as well as like writing about a record buck or Ram or something along that line, or, a, you know, a hunt that is just outrageous. There's a way to go about it. Um, writing itself is kind of universal, but there's most definitely things that you need to do that um, when you write for a publication that's daily um, to, to maintain the, I guess the, um, the voice that people want to read and the pace of it mm-hmm. and what have you. Um, to be honest, I haven't done any writing for myself since I started. A lot of that has to do with the fact that I'm just so busy when I get downtime, I am, uh, I want to fish or I want to be outside, you know, hiking or different things like that. Hunting season is coming up. Um, so it's, it's affected that a little bit, but as far as being prolific, as long as I have topics mm-hmm. and I've been very, very fortunate, the, the free range American is, I mean, it's pretty much like open up my mind and this is what's kicking around in it. You know, the, the stuff that we want that we write about that's important to us is important to us as writers and as editors. And it's important to the folks that we know that we're writing mm-hmm. for. So, um, any topic that I write about, I've learned more about alligators <laughs> and uh, coelacanth. <laughs> just, I mean, you, you, name it. I've learned a ton. Um, and it's, and I love it because I research, you know, I get right. to research, I get to talk to people that normally I wouldn't, you know, I, I just spoke with uh, this, this great woman um, up in Alaska. She and her husband, they live up in Alaska and she, went on a solo caribou hunt four months after a bear attack. I read that. Yeah. Tana. So I actually, I read about it and I got in touch, got in touch with her through Instagram. And then we talked on the phone and I got the whole story about the bear attack. So there's just, there's just all these things that, uh, that I'm getting to do and people I'm getting to meet and things that I'm learning. And I think that's the big thing is I'm learning with every piece. Right. And that that's enjoyable to me. That keeps you know, keeps the flow going. Yeah. Well, that's the same kind of deal with this podcast. Like I, I find, you know, you, there's, there's another step that's going on there. You follow somebody on Instagram. You're like, Oh, that's pretty interesting. Then you actually reach out to them and then you have an hour long conversation with them. And, and it's, it's just this extra level of, of like learning and communication and it just keeps it fun. I don't know. That was an incredible story. That lady killed I mean, I'm just coming off of this, this elk hunt where my son shoots this, this elk and, you know, I've been in Yellowstone a ton and you're around elk all the time, but they're not like right in front of you laying there on the ground. And you're, I'm just sitting there going, man, that is a huge animal. animal. That is a huge animal. Even a small elk is a huge animal. And then you go to that story that you wrote and she's got those antlers and I don't care if she's (laughs) five foot two, that is the, a massive, massive animal that, that caribou and a small caribou is probably larger than than a nice elk, I would imagine, just looking from that. And I've never even seen a caribou, but they have to be huge, huge animals. And yeah. she managed to like bag the biggest one maybe that's ever walked the earth. That thing yep. is amazing. It is really amazing for her to go out there by herself like that. And I know her, her husband was a, was a pilot that had some mm-hmm. really good skills and could probably land a plane anywhere, but yeah. still like she's out there by herself after a bear attack. Yeah. And, and did she, did she say that she like the whole thing was like to overcome a fear, like getting back on a horse, like you wrote about, like, or what did she say about that? Like, what was, what did she want to do that for? Well, I had asked her, I said, is this a way to sort of prove that you're actually all right when they get back on the horse? And she was, she said, honestly, I mean, she, there's a lot of, 
there was a lot of stuff that she had to deal with after the, you know, the experience with the bear, uh, she and her brother, but, you know, there were times when she'd be camping and a, you know, a bear would start to come to camp and she's like hand on her hip and different things like that, or going, you know, going with friends on day trips to different places. But, um, for her, it, she's got, um, she's got a, a whole passel of kids and for her, it was about me hmm. and her philosophy, much like Donnie Vincent, um, mm-hmm. killing the oldest, you know, the, the, the animal in the herd that has seen the most, the most seasons, you know, um, and it's out of respect. And it's also, you know, you're gonna, they, you know, they hunt to eat as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, that's what it, that's what it was for her. And this, I mean, this particular one happened to be the only one in miles and miles and miles. So, they had, they knew it was generally in the area, but to, you know, to find that one and then to see that it's that much bigger, um, for her, it was about subsistence. Um, and the fact that she just, she loves to hunt. She mm-hmm. is a hunter. And, um, so I think that having that fear, you know, that, that, the residual of, of the experience with the bear and what have you, I think that's all part and parcel for her and her husband of life Hmm. in Alaska. Yeah. You know, um, you could wait until it subsides, but that's not going to fill the freezer, you know? Right. So, and I think it's, it's, it's wildly different than, you know, in the lower 48, I think there's the majority of folks that are down here. It takes a lot longer to get back on the horse after something like that. So I guess so. Um, but you know, if you got a bunch of kids that are going to starve, if, if you don't get something in the freezer and your husband's busy flying and there's no one else, I mean, it falls upon you. Like that's, that's amazing, man. You know, there's another story kind of similar to that you ever watch that life below zero, show have you ever seen yeah, I've that? seen a couple of them there's this lady on there named sue and she lives in this camp way up by herself all the time and she was attacked by a bear and it messed her up and she had to crawl over to her i'm probably butchering butchering the story but she was there after the attack by herself for a while before a plane could get in there she goes to the hospital and then while in the hospital recovering she's like i gotta go back up there to the camp and kill that bear because that bear now thinks that's his camp. Exactly. And that can't be. Otherwise I'm always going to have problems with this bear. And so she, as soon as she gets healed up, she's like, she's on a cane and everything crutches, maybe even she goes up there by herself again, gets dropped off and is like, okay, it's me or the bear. It's an incredible story. She was on Joe Rogan podcast and told that story. And it was, it was one of the best, I think it was the best podcast I've ever heard him do with anyone. Mm. I was, I I couldn't stop listening. It was, it was amazing. It was amazing. But man, those stories of, of, of getting back on that horse, man, that's, that's amazing. Um, Cool. Well, your, your writing is, is, is awesome. I like, I like hearing all about that and what you're, what you're, what you're up to. What are you doing now? You, You were saying you were writing so much before we, uh, before we got on. Yeah, uh, I just wrote uh, wrote a piece that's um, uh, bear bar fights. So it's taking <laughs> a look at the taking a look at the eight the eight main species of bear around the world. Um, sort of who would win in a bar fight and and uh, where they're located and whether or not you can hunt them. Um, there's been a lot of bear activity this year. Seems so like much bear a lot. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I've got some, I've got some cool food stuff that's coming up and, uh, just had a, uh, a piece news piece I'm writing that, uh, deals with, um, uh, what is, it? oh, over, 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 uh, it's essentially a gross overkill of squirrels. <laughs> um, these guys got busted for it. So really? Uh, yeah, a group of sixteen non-resident dudes in Missouri. So, what do they, they want all the squirrels for? You know what? They, they they didn't get a chance to interview them, but they're up on some 
they're up on some charges. Missouri's strict on on their. Uh, they must be really good squirrel hunters because it's hard to kill a lot of squirrels. I mean, you go out <laughs> in your backyard and you're like, man, there's squirrels everywhere, and you shoot one, and then there's squirrels nowhere. Like they yeah. they just are like. Gone. It's either it's either that or when you're in your tree stand with a bow there right. everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. Or you step into the woods with a, a rifle. I'm or telling you, man, squirrels are pretty smart, man. I don't know how much squirrel hunting everybody's done, but I've done a little squirrel hunting and and yep. man, you get to a patch of woods and you're like, man, oh, this is gonna be so easy. Look, there's one there and there and there and there and they're everywhere. And I hear them crawling on the trees behind me and shoot one and they're gone. It's, it's crazy. So I don't know, maybe you, there's something to learn, even from bad behavior. You can probably learn, uh, how, how to be a good squirrel hunter from those guys for sure. Yeah. One of the things I wanted to ask you is you were talking about all these different people that you, that you've interviewed and all these different things that you're learning. And I noticed that you've written a couple of articles about, um, the water situation in Florida, which is a, 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 a topic of conversation on this podcast very often. And I'm just kind of wondering, yeah. like you, you even interviewed, um, Daniel Andrews and Chris Whitman, uh, from captains for clean water, or at least yeah. commented on that interview. Um, I'm just kind of wondering like what, your take as, as I'm going to call you an outsider, uh, yeah. not a Floridian, not someone that is ground zero. Like what is, what is your take on the situation as you've kind of researched it? And, you know, there's no wrong answer. I'm just kind of wondering because it's, it's interesting for me to, to see other people's opinion of what's going on down there that aren't like super invested in the state of Florida. You're right. I'm definitely an outsider. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a very interested party in so far as the time that I spent with AFTA mm -hmm. and really we, we spent a lot of time on conservation uh, efforts around the country. So from Pebble Mine, you know, to mm -hmm. the Glades um, and, and everywhere in between. For me, I think it, I mean, it speaks to, the sort of the idea that this is all our backyard, you know, you guys, this is absolutely directly where you are making a living and it's affecting your livelihoods. And that to me is something that is, that's happening everywhere. Um, and I, I like the conversations around the solutions, mm -hmm. right? It's yeah. I, yeah. Identifying the issues. Absolutely. Identifying the, the root cause, um, who's responsible and what have you. I think finger pointing is a tough, it's a bit of a rabbit hole, not saying that that shouldn't be done or that accountability shouldn't happen. I think that absolutely should. Um, but solution-based discussions, I think are the most beneficial. Um, I think it's, it's terrible that Florida goes through this every single year with the red tide and blue green algae and, you know, the fish kills are getting worse and more intense. I had just actually fished in uh, Tampa um, earlier in the summer, earlier in the spring for tarpon. Mm. And so I had been there before everything had kicked off. And then, so now seeing these images and remembering back to where I was, I had context and it's, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. And for me, you know, you, th there's always, well, we should have done this a lot better. There should have been better planning and different things like that. But I don't think back, you know, when the army Corps was, they first started, you know, putting canals everywhere and diverting water and ag business. I, I mean, I don't think they, there's no way they could have, foretold the population boom and the buildup. Right. Um, but it, it's something there's something has to be done. Mm -hmm. I mean, upstream of Lake O the, I think Chris and Daniel and a, a lot of guides that have been very proactive and, and folks, I think like Chris says, you know, it's political will, they're building political will because people are listening, their voice is getting louder. And I think that the solutions that they're working with the army Corps um, on, as far as discharges, I think that those that's, it's fantastic. They're keeping the pressure on and they're trying to find something that, you know, they, somebody's going to be alienated one way or another, but they're trying to do it in the least amount possible. Mm -hmm. But I think that folks that are on the other side of the coin, they have to learn how to give too. Right. You know? 
Um, yeah. I think that one of the biggest, biggest advancements that we've had, um, in, in the fight for, for clean water because of groups like captains for clean water and, and, and other groups, um, is, is getting the word out nationally, like beyond just the Caloosahatchee River and beyond yeah. just the problem areas and beyond what the potential areas are. Like a lot of times in the Keys, we're not experiencing the same thing that, that they are mm-hmm. up there, but the potential for that to, to, to come our way is enough that people are paying attention. And then we have a separate problem and of, of not enough fresh water which is a very strange concept for people to grasp. Like if there's too much fresh water over here, how is there not enough fresh water over here? Well, it's all being pushed out this way instead of the natural flow down to the keys. And that causes all kinds of problems. And, but, but, you know, for it to just to be a Florida problem and you don't have to worry about it, that's one thing, but for it to be a national problem. And if you ever have any desire to go to Florida, this is super important to you. Um, And it's super important to you as an American, because the economy, I mean, Florida is one of the 50 States, right? But it's, it has a, a bigger effect on the economy than many other States, right? Mm -hmm. Like it, 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 there's, there's tourism, there's commercial fishing. There is so many things in the state of Florida that are, that are dependent upon the water that it really does affect the entire country. And for that to get out nationally and it's particularly like on, like on, on free range American, I think that's that, that website is obviously read by people, all over the world probably and and certainly all over the country and to get um you know a a fair article there i think is a big big deal and maybe that leads to other publications and maybe you end up seeing it in like a a wall street journal or something like that to where now you're getting like some some serious journalism on a national and, and international level to that brings attention to this, like, and, and that people that don't have anything to do with fishing that they just like maybe going to Florida once every three or four or five years and someplace yeah. other than Disney world. Like, yeah. yeah, they like to feel the sand in their toes and, and, and see water. And it's just as important to them as it is to the people that make their living there. And I think yeah. that when that voice gets out, it's super important. Especially, I mean, it's easy to get sort of locked in the, the, the fishing, um, community echo chamber, mm-hmm. you know, I think, I think the fishing community is, I know fly fishing, I mean, it's saturated with the amount of support and work that we need to do on so many fronts that every time there's a new campaign that comes out, it's, you know, it, it, everything is, is worthy of our time and attention. Um, but it does, you know, when speaking to the saints, like preaching to the choir and everybody knows and everybody tries to do their best, it's, it's getting outside of that and making this, it's, it's, um, it goes beyond just a pastime. This has to do with, you know, people's livelihoods. Mm -hmm. It has, it does have to do with the economy. It has to do with like nationwide, how it is that we, we, um, handle the environment and, and find that balance, uh, instead of just eating resources and not doing anything to, to make sure that they come back. Right. So, so yeah, it's, I'm, I'm absolutely happy to, you know, to give, uh, voice to issues and to people that are doing good work. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's the, that's the benefit of getting, getting to be able getting to or to be a, a writer, you know, for a magazine that's, that's national. It's, yeah. Yeah. You know. Well, there's a lot of issues out there and, you know, some of them, you know, to the, to the person that's watching their, their river in uh, Kentucky be invaded by Asian carp, yeah. you know, that's just as important as the Florida water crisis. Like, you know, and there's a lot of issues out there and they, you know, there, there's some right now that are really important. Like the Asian carp thing is, that's also super important. Like that's a, that's a bad deal. The Florida yeah. water deal is bad deal. The pebble mine's a bad deal. And, you know, I don't know, bringing attention Still to all of those Pacific things. Northwest. Right. Yeah. There's, there's so many and you can be, you can be a super downer about it. Like, you know, this is, <laughs> this is yeah. like, we live in this terrible world or 
you can be kind of on the the captains for clean water side of of just like you say like point constantly pointing to solutions like this isn't it doesn't mean that it's over yes we're experiencing these these problems but nature is amazing man and you give you give nature a chance and nature will rebound and Absolutely. will come back and and that's what we got to do man we just got to give give it a chance. Like it's, you can't just stomp on it all the time. You got to, you got to give it a chance at some point, you know? Yep. Um, well, cool, man. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. I've, I've enjoyed talking with you and I hope, uh, you as well. hope we can, um, maybe do something together sometime. I don't know if you ever write scripts or anything, but maybe if we, uh, put together a, a movie, I, I, I like your, I like the voice that you, that you write with. It's, it's like you're talking to, it's just kind of like you're talking to a friend, right? But not super, like some people try to write like that, but they fail because I don't know, it's not polished, but, mm. but the way that you're writing, it kind of just feels like you're, you're kind of, you just kind of saddled up to the bar and, and somebody just kind of told you this cool story and you're like, wow, that's, that's pretty awesome. So, you know, compliments to you. I, I I've enjoyed it. And, um, that's the reason I, I reached out that. to you. Um, but man, thanks for, for being on and tell everybody where they can find your stuff, where they can read your, your stuff or watch your films or whatever you got. Sure. So my website is, uh, mattsmythe.com. So M A T T S M Y T H E dot com and uh definitely check out free range american uh that our url is free range american dot us um we there's content daily stories going up daily and there's some podcasts the owners are are uh they have a, a podcast black rifle coffee podcast that goes with it um yeah it's a it's a, usually a good read actually it's always a good read. <laughs> it's definitely a good read we got a lot of great content on there so awesome man awesome well thanks for talking good to talk with you i hope you can get back to your writing today and for everything else um go see tom com. you can find this and all of the other uh wet uh episodes that we have with with so many different interesting people right there so that's it for today matt thank you very much and uh we'll talk to you soon you got it thanks for having me on A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'm old there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Join Captain Justin Leake and Meredith McCord for the best fishing action along Panama City Beach. Tune in to Chasing the Sun every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.